Hi guys, welcome to Belief Alchemy with Megan O'Neill. Every week I'll be sitting down to interview visionary women who will teach us how to have a more magical mindset and to create greater possibility in our lives and in our business. Welcome, welcome, Miss Kathy. How are you? I'm good, Megan. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for coming on. I'm so appreciative and looking forward to this actually quite a bit. Um, what I would love to start out is just introducing yourself to the people listening. Sure. So my name is Kathy Cochran. I work as a holistic nutrition consultant out of the Ottawa Integrative Health Center. I do also have my own uh, private virtual practice. And uh, what I what my focus is as a in the nutrition world is more what I call soulful nourishment. So I'm looking beyond the nutrients, the calories that in terms of the practical sense and really look at what it, it takes to nourish yourself at a deeper level. Um, I really see the relationship that you have to food and the way you eat as a doorway to getting to know yourself in a deeper way. And so I guess in my work, what I do is I guide women through that door and help them explore um, their physio physiolog physiological needs, but from a place of soul. That's so beautiful. Like it really, the way you just described it, it's so beautiful. I love that. I'd, I'd never thought about it being a soulful connection. So I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation for, for women to listen to, because I think we've made it so clinical and um, eating to be so clinical you know, with calorie counting and um, sort of medical, don't you think? Like, isn't that sort of your perception? Oh, definitely. Like, I guess science has that tendency. And I, I guess in, in some, ways, some ways, it's a necessity where you have to break things down into their component parts so that you can examine all the pieces and figure out how they work. But then I think what the scientific world sometimes forgets to do is put the pieces back together and look at the whole and look at it or look at um, whether it's the organ in relation to the rest of the body or look at the nutrients in relation to the food and look at the person in relation to who they are culturally and uh, physically and you know, all the things, right? Yeah, I think that's, that's it's, it's, it's sort of similar in the sense of how I approach my work, right? Yeah. That you're a uh, uh, sum of all things. It's not just one thing that your mm -hmm. mind is a series. I was just explaining to one of my friends today about the mind. So I just want to get into that with you. Um, one of the reasons why, well, one of the many reasons why I wanted to ask you to come today is because you and I know each other and you have um, inspired me to have a very different way of thinking about many things. But in particular, you and I have talked a lot about female empowerment, about, um, you know, a couple, just to, to give an idea of, we have a very similar background in many ways, which is kind of funny. Just, we have six degrees of separation for anybody listening to this. Our moms went to, our moms and dads both went to the same school. Um, in Toronto, yeah. Yeah, in Toronto, even though you're from Montreal. And so we have these kind of, so the way that, you know, the world brought us together and we have the six degrees of separation. So in some ways, there were similarities between the way in which we grew up. Some of the beliefs that we, you and I both were given as kids. Um, and one of the things that I appreciate so much from getting to know you was how you've, you've changed the way that I think about things. And 
one book that you gave me um, a couple of months ago that, that I loved was on Mary Magdalene. Now, I don't want to scare anybody off who's going to think we're going to veer into a huge religious thing. But for anybody who doesn't know who Mary Magdalene is, isn't of a Christian tradition, Mary Magdalene was, I would say, was one of the um, central women in the New Testament. And we, I think we could call her an apostle, but she wasn't recognized to be an apostle. And she has a very... Um, I think the the history of Mary Magdalene was she was betrayed as a as a woman who was a prostitute, and um, you gave me a book that started to uh, have me think about things very differently. And the reason why I think this is relevant to the conversation that we are going to have today is that I often ask people when I start to work with them, I ask them, do they have a religious tradition? And sometimes when I ask that question on the intake forms that I have and and the conversations when you first start, people go well why are you asking me that question? And over the years, they've been really surprised at me asking that question because in particular in our Canadian culture, that feels like a intrusive, I think in some ways an impolite question. But my reasoning around why I asked that question is because um, your religious tradition, no matter how removed you are in terms of religion, it does actually infiltrate your subconscious beliefs. And Absolutely. so, yeah, yeah, well, you know that. So you and I both grew up in the, the Catholic, the Roman Catholic tradition, and we were influenced in our way of thinking about women and women's power, I think, by the tradition and the, the religion that we grew up in. Do you think that's fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. So the reason why this book, I think, was interesting is because I think that for people who grew up in Western traditions, who for the most part were from a Judeo-Christian, but particularly a Christian background, the way that Mary Magdalene and women were portrayed and, and communicated to us was often in a um, very one-dimensional way, would you say? Definitely, yeah, and, and belittled and their stories shortened and the importance reduced within the like even within the bible and within the gospels um to the point that mary magdalene was entirely edited out of the gospels right so she did write a gospel and her her account of what was happening with jesus and the rest of the apostles but that was actually banned and burned and destroyed and because there were a group in in egypt i believe who then hid some of these scriptures away that we we have learned this um, but in terms of the idea of power, like, I think the picture, I guess some of these gospels, because there were other gospels, not just Mary Magdalene's, there was the gospel of Philip, the gospel of Thomas, there are a few other texts that were, that were, um, squandered away. What was, what well, I guess in terms of modern business speak, it would be like that these gospels didn't fit into the message that the Catholic church was trying to, um, portray at that point and that was all about needing to create that hierarchy where you have to look to somebody outside of yourself right everything's in latin so you as the uneducated person who can't read or write your own language let alone some other language um, you need an expert to then tell you what this book says and interpret it for you and tell you so you're looking outside of yourself and part of the um whole if you get right down to Jesus' core messages 
and also the way that he and Mary Magdalene worked together and what she learned and was teaching through her gospel is that it's all inside of you. And it's, and I think um, definitely, I think we as modern people have taken on that sort of hierarchical thing of we need to look outside for the expert, um, for the truth and for our power, but women, especially because it was so much taken away from us and hidden and destroyed and, you know, we won't go through the centuries of what happened in women and burned and everything. Um, as soon as women were shown to have any type of thinking for themselves or power or um, strength, then that was squashed a lot. And so that that sense of power as a as an entire gender was lost to us, taken away from us. And we completely lost that ability to find that power um, within ourselves, which it, in a way is what led me to to this work in the first place, because it was when I realized that, oh my goodness, when was that? That was when I was pregnant with my second son. And all of a sudden, as because I had been learning, having been pregnant the first time, I was, I had started doing body work. I had um, started doing yoga. And so I was learning about my body and connecting to my body in a way that I never had, you know, as a raised Catholic, you're not even supposed to consider your body, let alone think that your mind and your body are actually some sort of cohesive um, integral part of each other. Um, yeah. But it's when I was pregnant with my second son and all of a sudden I realized there were these doctors saying, do this, don't do that. And nurses saying, do this, don't do that. And you get to the hospital and there are people pointing you in all different directions. It's like, wait a second. I have no, like in this model, I have no power in what goes on with my body. Like it's my body. And so that my, my, the, I guess, driving force that led me to then work with women. I, I thought about studying midwifery. I, I studied to be a doula. I did the whole holistic nutrition thing. I thought about being a naturopath. I've looked at, I, you know, any number of things. And it doesn't matter what my, um, what I want to be doing is showing women that it's, it is inside of you. And yes, sometimes we need the experts for the tests or to explain to us in different terms, what's going on, or we do need the massage therapist, or we do need the physiotherapist, and we do need to have certain treatments, but that the decisions come from inside of us, and, and that, that's taking back that power and, and taking back that choice. Yeah, and I feel like um, working with women on mindset in all areas, because in the last 20 odd years, I have been working in many, many different areas of mindset, but in the area of business, I feel like women are constantly looking outside of themselves per, for permission to do something in their business, whatever it is, whether it's uh, to spend money in their business, to be more visible, to call themselves an expert, you know, to make it simple. I've talked a lot about imposter syndrome, but this is really at the heart of it is sort of this feeling that I don't feel powerful, but going mm -hmm. back to the body and going back to um, the idea, we talk about it from a Catholic point of view, but of course, if we talk to anybody else of other traditions, they would say the same thing, that there's been this um, disconnect from your body. And um, I think I've talked about this a lot with you and other women, even in the area of um, 
pregnancy and uh, menstruation and all the sort of regular hormonal things that we experience in life as women that have a huge effect on us for until I was 45 or something, even when I was pregnant, I was completely um, disconnected from that. I, I was, you know, I was fed the belief by my mother that this was just, you just suck it up and don't even pay attention to it. Don't complain. This is the way life is. And, um, and really no discussion about anything. No discussion and, because you're not supposed to talk about it, right, which right. I think, you know, it's, again, some of that kind of divide and conquer kind of attitude of, of how we've been suppressed is because that whole, the way women strengthen, we strengthen each other by that. What's the stress female stress response is tend and befriend, right? So we all get together, we gather around the fire pit and share stories and advice and look after each other's children and help each other cook and give each other advice and all that stuff. So that if, if we're not, if we're deprived of that just basic, um, need and support system, then it, it isolates us in, in a way that does take away our power, not being able to, to vocalize it. Yeah. And I think you and I were talking, um, earlier because today, just when we're recording this, um, they are questioning a woman who will become a Supreme court justice. And they are actually talking about taking away, 50 year olds uh, reproductive rights. And I was just, it's kind of amazing to me that in the 21st century in 2020, that we're talking about women not having right over their body. To me, that's just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But we were going back into sort of the first um, wave of feminism in the 1970s, where women were entering into the, the workplace and they did not have established beliefs around power, right? Maybe in the female sphere, you know, there was a history of women having power, maybe in the domestic scene for a long period of time. But when they went into the workplace and started to grow within organizations, they did not know, they didn't have any role models. I don't think they had, I still don't think, I think we're getting better and better, but I think that their belief system, their mindset wasn't, um, wasn't prepped for what was coming and how to operate in a system that was, um, as one woman's book, I just read Jen Paul Mary, who I really have uh, had a lot of, um, a lot of um, thought provoking sort of thought. She says, having worked as Hillary Clinton's press secretary, she says that she operated in this system. And she operated in a system where it was run by men and it was created for men. And so no right. wonder she felt like an imposter in the system. And her takeaway her conclusion that she's come to is that women need to create our own systems absolutely which is definitely what's happening now in business like just looking within the networking groups that we um navigate in if that's everybody's trying to change that in their own way and definitely i mean you said there were no role models for women to um enter the workplace, but the roles, role models were the men, right? Yeah. Even down to the, like the suits. So even down to the clothes that women wore when they wore, went into the workplace, they had to dress like a man and look like a man and, and um, act like a man, which then sets up a weird um, belief system and weird energy in the body. And then you end, end up fighting against yourself so that your body is trying to do one thing and 
getting into, you know, hormones and everything that your body's trying to be a woman in one sense, but then your mind is struggling with that. And yeah. And, and so many issues. Well, I'm and, sure and, you don't it, feel good about yourself. Well, exactly. And if you, yeah, you're right. I just laughing about, um, I watched working girl recently and baby boom. And mm. of course they had this very structured male suits, right? Boxy, boxy sort of sleeve or, um, whatchamacallit, shoulder the pads. Shoulder pads, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. Like if you think about it, it's like to give you that square look, take away the, the curves. Yeah. So, the softness. so I want to say it, I think it's on Netflix, but watch baby boom again. Because it's with Diane Keaton, and essentially she, um, you know, uh, adopts a baby because she's she just gets a baby. It's a really good movie for sort of showing the first time I think a movie tackled motherhood and a career and your own business. And I think it's a really interesting movie to watch because um, it was in the 1980s, the late 1980s. But one of the things that um, that I had posted on our Facebook group was about confidence. And I have talked to a lot of women who were in their 40s and in their 50s and in their 60s, but particularly I talked to a lot of women who tend to start their businesses in their 40s. And um, what I hear on an ongoing basis is women struggling with their confidence. And someone had said to me, and I'd already thought about this myself, is that when I have been experiencing perimental, perimenopausal, and I want you to explain what that is, I feel that that has affected not only physically my sleep, but my confidence. So I wanted to have your expertise to talk about this issue and what mm -hmm. you see when you think about hormones and confidence. Oh, I mean so many levels so many levels on this um and but first uh, just to sort of um put some context around the words when we talk about the word menopause so the the state of menopause is this the fact that you've stopped menstruating so the actual um definition or the start date of that it's counted from when you've gone an entire year without a period then you're considered menopausal and then the word per, like the prefix peri means around, right? So anything else in the years before that or is called is considered perimenopause. And I know that there was a there was one question in that Facebook group. I think it was Diane who was saying um, that she was experiencing all these changes in her body and her mental state and everything early in her 40s and was asking if that's actually if it starts that early. And it does. It does if you read um Women's Body, Women's Wisdom, or uh, the, the menopausal, whatever the menopausal book is by Chris, Dr. Christian Northrup, right? So she explains very clearly that the, the uh, climacteric, so that time that your body is shifting uh, from state of motherhood to menopausal, it, it takes about route 10 years. So that 35, 40 is not too early to be starting to feel stuff going on in your body and what are um, signs though of perimenopause uh, this is the time when a uh, people always notice the sleep right so your sleep uh gets wonky you fall asleep easily but then you're wide awake in the middle of the night for a couple of hours people sometimes start hot 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 flashes earlier on those usually come later but hot flashes night sweats um it's that 
10 extra pounds around your middle that it doesn't matter what diet you're on or how much exercise you do that it sticks around. Um, and then it's also the little gaps in your memory, right? So like you put down your keys and turn around and have no idea where they are or you walk into a room and then have to leave again because you can't remember why you got in the room in the first place. All those um, little <laughs> <Yes>. things. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when you think about this in relation to, um, to us and our business, when you're, when you're creating your business, when you're growing your business, um, to me, this is a time period where you have to make a lot of decisions. You have to learn on your feet. There's a lot required as opposed to going to, not to say that nine to five people don't have their own stuff. Of course they have stresses, but it's a different type of stress if you are in um, the creation of a business. And um, what I notice is that things that I think maybe when I was younger in some respects, what I have noticed with myself and with my clients in relation to confidence is that something that really isn't a big deal like one of the things you and I both know is that you're going to screw up mm -hmm. and, and not in a way that you could even take the word screwing up or um, failure and you could reframe it because basically it's a learning process. And as you're growing your business and you're making decisions of where you want to go and what works well for you, that I find is a time period that I've noticed a lot of women feeling a big deal over things that perhaps they like usually they have a lot of knowledge coming into their business because they are, say, for example, in their 40s. So they already mm -hmm. have a lot of accumulated knowledge and experience, yep. but they're not recognizing it. And they're also uh, spending a lot more energy on where they have not done well versus where they have done well. Yeah, I mean, that again, and I'll talk about the hormones about that with that in a sec, but even just that first part of not feeling like they know what they're doing when you're trying something new, it gets back to that whole need for the the expert thing. And so that looking for um, authority outside of ourselves, if you don't have the piece of paper, if you don't have the degree, if you haven't taken the um, traditional route of education to get to your knowledge, then it's not, it's not necessarily considered valid. Right. So I had, and I, have felt that a lot and I do still struggle with that um, belief that I need some authority to tell me that I am the one who can do this. So even if you've uh, run an office and been in the corporate world and done things a certain way, taking those skills and then be making them your own is not necessarily true. Um, when I started studying holistic nutrition and kind of after all my searching around decided to study that, I was at a um, party at my friend's house and her father who is a doctor was asking me what I was up to and so I told him what I was studying and everything and I was taking everything and the school I was at because it was holistic and on the alternative side they were very careful to make sure they were very um, diligent about making sure we had all the scientific background that it wasn't just some hairy very hairy very uh, la la thing with crystals and a few herbs, right? It was an actual, um, quite a strong program. But so I was told him I was studying nutrition at this holistic school. And he said, well, I hope you know what you're doing. Like, you know, because you haven't gone through university, 
And I, I took that to heart at the time going, oh crap, you know, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. But then I'm like, no, well, they actually, they've made sure that I know stuff. Like I probably knew stuff about nutrition, you know, not how little doctors learn about nutrition in their studies. I probably knew things about nutrition that he didn't in his 30 years of being a doctor. So, um, yes. And just sorry to interject. I just want to say one thing. I went to reproductive and endocrinologist for hormones yeah. who's renowned in this country, as a matter of fact, and started women's health in the local hospital. And she said to me that the average, um, general practitioner knows almost nothing about hormones. So going mm -hmm. to your doctor, in other words, is, is not, a, is, is not going to be, uh, this satisfactory. Certainly not um, a uh, general practitioner. Because the other thing about hormones, like when we're talking about hormones and female hormones, we're mostly talking about estrogen and progesterone. And But we forget that we also have testosterone in our body and we have all these other hormones too. So our, that's our, those are the hormones in our reproductive system. But our endocrine system, and our, which is the, the uh, system of organs in our body that is in charge of organs and is in charge of sending messages to um, activate and start and release different processes in the body includes um, the pancreas and insulin it includes the thyroid and which is in charge of your metabolism it includes um, the the thymus which gets your immune system going and it includes your um, adrenal glands so there are all these glands all over your body and all these different hormones and the thing is the hormones don't work independently so that women we're often aware that estrogen and progesterone work together right so the estrogen is is the hormone that sort of gives us our female characteristics right the breasts and the the hair and the curves and the padding and all that stuff and sort of makes us all luscious and juicy. The progesterone, if you look at the name, just progest, it's like progestation. That's what allows us to then um, create the state in our bodies to uh, maintain a pregnancy. And so that these are working in concert. And when one is abundant, the less one, when one is, um, in large quantities, the other one is necessarily in lesser quantities, but they're still working together and it ends up, they end up sort of in a dance with each other. And then of course we also have prolactin and oxytocin and all these other hormones that get in there with it. But then within that reproductive, reproductive system, all the, those hormones are also in a dance with all the other hormones in our body. So we have stress hormones like cortisol and we have insulin that's affecting our weight and our blood sugar and so on and so forth. I don't want to get into an entire lecture on, on the physiology of the endocrine system, but it, it's not, nothing is in a vacuum. So anything that we, anything that affects one hormone is going to affect all the hormones, which then affects our entire body. Um, where was I going with this? I don't well, know. I want to ask you a question since <laughs> yes. you're talking about hormones. So most of us have heard obviously about hormones because if you have gone on the pill or if you have had children or just conversations that you might hear here and there, even if we bought when we were, I remember, do you remember watching Oprah and she had on the, um, the, um, the, oh, she had on the hormones that you take, bio, bio, um, bio identical hormones. Yeah. So that was the first time that I'd ever heard of that. But 
what would cause us? So here we have all of these women who I'm hearing talking about their confidence and making the connection now, some of them, between what their age is and sort of having a little bit of an idea about perimenopause and menopause. Like they, they know general things, but what do we need to understand about our confidence and hormones? Okay, that was the point I was trying to get to. So well, um, one, of, one of the things about estrogen, which is like our main girlfriend here that it works really hard and is, is quite a, a dominatrix in terms of the, the hormone world and likes to take over and be bossy and, you know, um, is that this is the hormone that gives us that ability to multitask. You know, we women, we love, we pride ourselves in the fact that we can cook dinner and help with math homework and finish a report and have a phone call with our best friend all at the same time and then sit, you know, and juggle a bottle of wine. So. Um, Part of that is the effect of estrogen in our body in the way that it affects our brain and our just our ability to focus on many things. Because if you think about it, if you're a woman, all these things developed millennia ago, right? So if you're out in the woods and you have a baby strapped to your back and you're trying to forage for mushrooms and berries and make sure that there are no predators on the loose, like you need to have all these feelers out. And so that's part of what gives us that that ability to do it all again I think that was the comment of one of another member of our of our Facebook group right where it was like I used to be able to run an entire office but now I can you know I can't do it anymore and that's it so one of the things that happens in uh what is happening in perimenopause leading to menopause is that the amount of estrogen and progesterone but estrogen the key player in this point is that as that's reducing, we lose that ability so that we are actually physically, physiologically losing that ability to multitask and that, uh, that affects. And then as, as I said before, the way the, the lowering hormones also affects our memory too. So even people trying to learn new things. So you've gone back to school to learn a new skill or you've, or you, um, are just trying to learn the ropes of running an online business or whatever it is, like our memories can't soak in as much stuff as it once did, you know, let alone the fact that there's a sieve in there and things fall through at a regular basis. And I saw that with when I first started teaching and also more and more as I older I get and more I take classes is that I would have, when I first started teaching about 15 years ago, I would have women in their late forties in my class and they were they just could not, like they needed extra time to study for an exam because they just could not take in the information and retain it, which eventually led me because I was having older women more and more and understanding it more in myself led me then to adapting the way it was evaluating courses. Um, but that's an aside. So then, so there, that is, it, where our brains are actually losing that ability to be as um, flexible. So thank you before. for explaining that, because I think that's really helpful. You know, for me, even having this interview, normally I have a, I, you know, just like my father, have a, a really good memory and like things like words, I can remember words. So my vocabulary is pretty good because I can remember words. And I'm always joking with my husband or anybody talking to me, like I'll go to retrieve a word and to articulate, like I just did it a couple minutes ago where I was having a problem retrieving a word. Yeah. 
And I, I'm so frustrated with that, let alone learning something new or having to. And I think right now, because we are in the age of COVID, we are on super overload in terms of multitasking in many ways. I mean, some things have been taken off the table, like sports and things like that. But anybody who has children at home or maybe, you know, has uh, people that you're taking care of, I feel like there's a lot, there's a lot of aggravating um, things going on right now, circumstances, and um, women are feeling it. But, you know, if you are, I mean, this is the kind of self-talk, if you are challenged with, with this going on, in, and this is the symptoms where you're having trouble maybe learning something new, or you're having trouble multitasking, or your sleep is not great. And I've always been better if my sleep is good. I used to be a morning person and could get up and was like annoying in the morning. And now I'm not. I'm like sluggish and foggy brained and all that sort of thing. And I think also one thing is, is that we were taught, I think this is a generalization, but I think a lot of women would agree that we were supposed to put everybody before us. Like this Mm -hmm. was one of the um, universal messages to women is that you get into the habit also because you're taking care of children and then maybe later on aging parents. Um, you know, I was in the sandwich situation a couple of years ago with my mom. I'm no longer my mother's past, but I think that, um, we tend to put ourselves on the back, back, back burner mm-hmm. and not do the self care. Like just talking about eating and exercising and um, our spiritual needs and all the things that we tend to put on the back burner and that we put ourselves second. One of the things that I want you to talk about, which I think is really interesting, that one of the naturopaths said to me was the idea that when you start to go into menopause, that you're that response of taking care of everything, everybody first and not saying no and accommodating everybody starts to shift. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, and actually I have the, um, a great quote from uh, Dr. Sarah Godfrey, who wrote, she's written several books. She's an American um, OBGYN who works a lot with the endocrine. Is she an OBGYN or maybe she's an endocrinologist? Anyway, she has a book called The Hormone Cure. Um, and I'll find that quote in a sec. Um, but I realized as you were talking just about that, the fact that we, we don't know how to look after ourselves, but I just realized that if we were in that fire pit situation where we were in a community of women, if we're in a village where there are older women and younger women and everybody there to help each other out, you don't need to worry about looking after yourself because even though you're looking after everybody else, somebody else is going to be there looking after you. And I think that's one of the downsides of that um, women's movement. A, before the women's movement, there was the 50s where we all, everyone moved out to the suburbs and we all got our own washing machines and we all got our own uh, subscription to homemaker magazine. So we were self-sufficient and became independent, but we lost that sense of community. And so we don't, we don't know how to ask for help, but then we think that we're not supposed to need help because we have all the things and we should be able to do it all. That's so a there, point. there point. is that. And I just um, realized that. And so um, one of the things that Dr. Gottfried says here is that um, estrogen is what makes you want to have babies look pretty and please people, which makes sense. So that if, 
I guess, again, if that's sort of the um, evolutionary or the sort of the uh, prerogative of the species, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, in order to like for this species to move forward, you need to want to be able to have babies, but also keep that baby safe. So you are going to learn to um, sort of make yourself pleasing to the mates that you want to attract and you are going to sublimate your own needs because the survival of this child you've just born is is the prerogative right so i guess in that biological sense it makes sense so then what she goes on to say that less estrogen means you stop accommodating people indiscriminately and perhaps finally blurt out what you've been meaning to say since you were 25 so that that's the thing. So we, for, from the time you're 11, and I know so many, so many clients come to me and they talk about, you know, I always ask when their symptoms started or when they first started experiencing, you know, I have trouble with my digestion or I have headaches or whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. I always ask when it started. And I can't tell you how many people say, I felt great until I was about 11. And then this started happening and that started happening. And it's like we we stop at age 11 when those hormones start kicking in and our lives don't become our own for like 40 years. And I don't know if it's in this book or um, another book that I read people talking about the veil of, of estrogen lifting at a certain point so that that need for accommodation to accommodate everybody else and please our family and keep our kids happy and keep our husbands happy is, is just like, Oh, forget that. Cause you know, you always have that, that image of a woman over 50 being just like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like I I'm going to yeah. say what I have to say. Yeah. yeah. My mom and her gals, she had a group of gals from nursing and from uh, her high school, the Stretto Abbey we were talking about. Mm-hmm. They just were like completely opinionated by the time they got to a certain, and it was hilarious oh, yeah. listening to them talk, right? They did not give a good goddamn about anybody's judgment. Mm-hmm. And so it makes me laugh because they just were so like adamant. And I think about the messages that I got as a young woman, and, and this is, you know, I think goes back to what you were saying, the sort of cultural messages that I think then what I see moving into the business, creating your own business, running your own business that a lot of women struggle with was to be accommodating, to not be too opinionated, to, um, you're right, look for outside um, affirmation for what you're going to do. And I think that that certainly because of our age, you know, we're in our 50s, that um, we still grew up in a time period where um, I think subconsciously we still gave our power away to men. I think it's better now. And to be honest, I think women have a, have a better mindset in this area, younger women. And just oh. to, to a little story is playing tennis. And I, you know, I just started tennis. I was playing with a 30 year old, 31 year old. And I kept apologizing for the state uh, that I was in, in terms of my tennis skills. And I kept saying, I'm really sorry. I hope I didn't waste your time like a typical. And she looked at me and she said, you know, Megan, don't apologize. If I thought you were wasting my time, I would have said so. And I was like, oh, I loved it. I know. I know. I talked, I have a few friends in their thirties and just like, okay, wow. You just said that for <laughs> like, and that's it. And, but even so, but we were also raised and I realized too, and maybe it's that, that veil that's still down is that when my mom was in her, I guess she was sort of mid, mid to late fifties and I was 
30 and she would start talking to me about stuff like all that stuff that she told me over the years never to talk about and all of a sudden she's talking to me about it and it, it was very awkward because it was like you just spent like 25 30 years telling me not to talk about this stuff and you're like coming out it's like oh too much information mom like really but it's that it's exactly that thing yeah yeah and you know, when you first started, and I always ask my, my clients this, when you first started your business, what do you think that you struggled with mindset-wise, belief-wise the most? Um, well, I think what I was saying before about that, that, um, that need to have to, for outside approval, like that some, something else, whether it was a piece of paper or somebody else's authority telling me that what I was doing um, was, ba- was valid, yeah. Yeah. And I think also when you mentioned that, cause you were talking to the doctor, I also think it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with, with Jen Paul Mary, that a lot of what you and I were told growing up was that these were the only acceptable forms in which you were considered to be serious. And I think also when you look at sort of the history, and I've talked about this in different podcasts or in, in Facebook group, and you and I have talked about it, that men took over what areas that were um, traditionally female, like cooking, mm-hmm. childbirth, right? Childbirth, like mm-hmm. childbirth was midwives forever. And then Ever. in, the, in yeah. the 19th century, I think it was the 19th century that they started to incorporate doctors who were only men in those days. And there was, um, from what I read in the past, I'm just as I'm sort of going off the, the cuff here, but that's when a lot of, um, because there was these doctors going around and they were tending to sick people and then they were going to birth, then a lot more, then a lot more babies were died as a result of doctors coming on the scene than they would have with the midwives because the midwives would just tend one birth. Yeah. And well, the other thing too is it wasn't just that I think from, if I remember correctly and don't quote me on this, but it was um, also moving birth into the hospitals, which caused part of the problems. Yeah. 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 So, and it's, so, and, and medicalizing it. Right. I mean, cause that's the thing that we, we forget or we have like the system has forgotten is that being pregnant and having a baby is not a medical condition. Yes. There are certain cases where if there you need medical in- intervention, uh, or surgical intervention, which necessitates medication. Um, but the other thing, that's the same thing with menopause. It's a natural evolution. It, all it is, is puberty in reverse, right? Nobody think everybody celebrates and gets excited about puberty, but <clears throat> it's not a thing that we need to worry about. It's just a natural process. Menopause is exactly the same thing. It's just happening in reverse. But they monetized it. And they took it over as being the authority. So when I think about um, an OBY, and I think about, um, which obviously were men initially, or when I think about cooking, the status that a chef received versus, say, for example, a cook. And a cook would have always been, like I I think about uh, if anyone has watched Downton Abbey, and you think Mm. about Mrs. Mrs. Fillmore or whatever. Mrs. Patmore. Patmore versus a chef, a French chef coming in and he has the hierarchy and he's running it versus, and garners more respect. That's well, when right. you think about my experience in Toronto when I had my first child and um, I was having trouble with breastfeeding and the Dr. Newman, a famous Dr. Jack Newman, who had found his niche coming to Canada and has this whole industry around breastfeeding. 
and he's a man. I mean, it, it, it's it's kind Although of interestingly it. enough, he's quite uh, women positive and yeah. women oh, friendly, at least. Well, I'm sure. Well, okay, I met him, and I'm not saying he's not. But when he met me in the breastfeeding clinic, he brought a whole team of male uh, residents. Uh, medical residents over without asking my permission. Mm. Now I am the child of um, a nurse in a teaching hospital. So I have had, I've never seen a doctor alone. I always joke with my doctors. I always have residents. So I was completely comfortable, but a mm. lot of women would not have been comfortable with that. So uh, maybe I don't want to slag Dr. Newman because he certainly helped me. But um, I guess my point is, is that even in the areas we have forfeited in many ways our knowledge and our expertise in areas. And I think that this directly relates to a lot of the women that I work with, because I work with a lot of service-based women. And a lot of the women that I work with um, have often have traditional, even in terms of communications, like all the areas that I work with women in, um, they seem to struggle with their expertise often. And the mindset is often around feeling their worth, asking for their worth monetarily. And um, I just think it's interesting. You and I have had a lot, we could spend all day on this, but Mm -hmm. one of the things that I wanted to ask you um, was what do you have in terms of your belief system now that helps you to move forward in your business and in your life? Yeah, it's interesting that you're asking me that question today because I think this is something that has only, I I have known it on the periphery for the longest time, but only just in the last, I'd say, week or two, that it's like really settled in. And that's the belief that I'm not alone, that I do have that entire village of women, whether it's with business, whether it's with parenting, whether it's with my my work uh, like at the clinic or even just if I needed help with a, a, a client, a case that I couldn't quite figure out or just anything, right? There are women around me who can help me. Like I have any number of women that I can contact at any given moment to help me in any, even just friends, just to call and say, Hey, I'm feeling this, that, or the other thing, or, Hey, I have this thing I want to celebrate. And that I'm not, yeah, I'm not alone. And, and also, you know, and some of that help is not necessarily tangible physical help. It's there, whether you want to call it angels or spirits or whatever, like there's, I I trust that there are other beings around me helping me in ways that I can't even imagine. I love that. And I think it's, you know, this is an isolating time in some ways with COVID because we can't. Maybe that's why I'm realizing it so much yeah. is that because we're, we're so shut off from each other, but I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not alone. I'm not helpless. I mean, yes. No, I think it's really taught us the need, but I think also when you were saying that about, women supporting each other. I was also thinking about the underground economy amongst women that men don't know about. And uh, one of my friends had an expert come in to teach to a group of, I think it was like mompreneurs. It was like a group in Toronto. And I'm, I'm not sure uh, exactly what he did, but I think he was in communications or marketing or something. And he came in to talk and he said, wow, 
I had no idea that you, you all, the women had this connection and this networking that was going on. And I thought that was really interesting because I've heard a couple of women say that. Some, uh, some of my, uh, my entrepreneurial mentors say the same thing, where a lot of the mentors that we might see online are men and we think, oh my goodness, you know, where, are, where are people who, who I can relate to? And I think that there's a whole economy that has been established and continues to be established where I work with you and then you work with this person and, you know, it goes on and we refer That's to right. each other. Yeah. When we refer to each other, if I want so-and-so, like I might ask, even if I'm buying a car, I'm going to ask you and other women in our networking group, hey, where did you buy a car and where'd you get good service or whatever? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I think women have, have gone so far here in Ottawa to, to have a women's group where we buy from each other first. Mm-hmm. I, we're kind of like the Mormons. I keep joking about how yeah. we're kind of like Mormons. That's right. Know? But it's, 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 there's like, there is a mandate to buy from women first if that's possible. So there's and lots like of advantages. That. Yeah, me too. And, I mean, and I, it's the buying local thing, which I think is a really important thing, like growing local economies. But women run businesses because those are the ones, those are the smaller ones and the, the ones that are run more the way I want to run my own business, but also how I want to support individuals, not necessarily a, somebody else's bottom line. Yeah. And I think what you said, when I was in Toronto, um, I had a whole network. I mean, I'm from Toronto, so I had my old friends, but I also, when I had children, I created a whole new group of women who would take my kids when I needed to have a nap or, you know, who I would go, my friend Lisa, I go running with her in the morning, every single morning, and we would be alone for maybe the only time of the day and talk to each other about what was going on in our life. And that was invaluable. When I moved here to Ottawa, I didn't have that. And so I found that to be very, very lonely. So I'm really appreciate that you're talking about that because I think that um, one of the things coming out of COVID that I feel like I'm learning is I have to make a very large effort because I'm an online person, service person, that I have to make the effort to go out and literally physically get together with women and groups of people in order for me to be happy that it's taught me that. I mean, I already knew that beforehand, but it's really brought it home in the age of COVID. I need physical interaction. Like I get to go over to your house, eat your food. So um, I want to ask you one last thing before I let you go. When you think about what women are experiencing in relation to, you know, confidence and hormones, because I know a lot of people talked about their sleep. You are an expert, obviously, in, in so many areas of nutrition what do we need to what do we need to do in order to have a um a happier existence to feel more confident do you think could you recommend well i guess that gets back to the original the, the root of the word confidence right it's like con, uh, what is it confidence con, or something so basically it's having um faith in And so having confidence is just having faith in yourself, which to me gets back into just connecting to your own body. So what we were saying at the very beginning about Mary Magdalene and how she was teaching that it's all inside of us. And that that's exactly, and I guess this is the way I look at at all of it, whether I'm talking about food or whatever, it's listening to your own body and um, knowing what, 
feels good in that body. It's part of nourishing yourself in terms of food and exercise, but it's also the people you hang out with and the work that you do and the the TV you watch and the stuff that you don't want to watch, right? You know, and what it, what is it you're taking in that's not serving you? We're all watching far too much news these days, but what's that doing to our bodies and 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 paying attention to what goes in there, you know, and it, the example, you know, an example is something, a food that you're sensitive to, that if you eat it, it does have a physiological reaction. So anything else, so people you hang out with or work that you do that that is working against you is going to have a similar kind of um, reaction. So then it's, again, drawing, finding ways to draw back into yourself, self-awareness, and then making, and then learning to work from that place inside. I love that. Can I give you an example of how I've done that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Because I grew up with a mother who taught me that you just get on with it. That would be like, oh, just get on with it, Megan. Stop yeah. going on about it. Yeah. When I had my cramps, and I was lucky I didn't have terrible cramps, but she would just throw me like an, I think it was called an anaprox or something. Mm-hmm. And it would just like a heavy duty, my doll. Just take that. You know, her, my grandfather is a pharmacist. And everything was just about take a pill or shut up about it and yep. don't go on about having menstrual pain. And if you're tired, you just have to get up and get on with it. And I heard myself talking like that to my daughter, Sarah, when she started to have a period, like you have to go to hockey, you committed, blah, 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 blah. And one of the things that I've learned to piggyback on what you just said is that around the time when I get my period now, I'm exhausted. And I am now giving myself the permission to actually not work too hard or at all on those days when I'm struggling with my period and that it's okay in your business to give yourself space when you need it in order to um, nurture yourself. Which is, I think probably one of the most powerful things a woman can do in terms of like we were talking about how our, our role models were working the way men do if women just modeled their work week or we, and we'd have to schedule a work month around the ups and downs of our cycle, my goodness. And there are coaches, there are books out there and I can't remember the woman's name at the moment, but I can, I can um, let you know later. Um, But there are women who have written books about how to basically schedule your life around your cycle so that you will have, the space and the permission to rest when you need to rest that you're doing creative activities when you're ovulating so that and social activities when you're in that mode and that there are different things that you can that you can do that we our energy is more better better suited to certain activities at different times of the month and that's it that if if I had known that 30 years ago I feel like I could have taken over the world and I think maybe this is part of what the 30 year olds have over us is that they're now being given this permission because it's just part of the zeitgeist now to, to be able to do that and have space for that. Oh yeah. I love it. Exactly. What if only I had known? Well, (laughs) everything that you and I have talked about, I just want anybody who is sort of like, what book are you talking about? What are you referring to Megan and Kathy? We're going to put it in the show notes. We're also going to put in the show notes, how people can find you. 
and how they can learn more for you from you. Um, I've learned a lot from you. I continuously learn from you. So I really encourage people to, to, to start following you and learning from you. You're online. It's easy to get in touch with you. So I will share that. But I just wanted to say thank you so much, my dear, for coming on. I mean, I, I think we have to do another podcast, to be honest, because there's so much more that I want to get into. So we're yeah. going to book another one and um, continue on with this conversation. But I always love so talking much. with you, Megan. Yes, I love talking to you too, Kath. Okay, <laughs> thank you so much. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed our guest today as much as I did. If you are interested in connecting on social media, then I am on Facebook and LinkedIn, Megan O'Neill Core Beliefs. Or if you are thinking this is the time for you to empower your mindset and expand your life and business, you can find me at meganoneal.ca.